Well, again, a warm welcome to each of you and a special welcome to our guests today. We're so grateful that you're here as we seek to love God, serve others, and build sacred community. For our online audience, we welcome you as well, and we especially welcome guests both here and wherever you are in the world. Today, we uh, continue our sermon series, uh, Heal, Embracing Wholeness for Ourselves and Others. And as I said earlier in the service, uh, we spent last week just talking about being honest, right? And many of you have talked about this week. I've had several calls and emails that it was time to be honest that things are not always great, right? And they're not always working the way we want them to, and it's not what we expected. And so part, part of healing is, first of all, being clear that we are in need of it, that we don't have to pretend that sometimes the brokenness in our lives or the physical challenges we face or just the uncertainty of life and relationships, it's time for us to be honest. And we did that last week a bit and talked about the importance of being honest. Today, we talk about the step of saying, what do we want? What, what, what do we need? What, what kind of healing? And maybe it's healing for our grief and loss of a loved one, or maybe grief for a relationship that is no more or is changing, or maybe it's literally physical healing or emotional healing. Maybe we haven't been honest about the challenges of our family or our relationships. And maybe today the question is, what do you want Jesus to do for you? What do we need from Jesus and the sense of healing for us individually? And then as we come into this series a little further on, what do we need from Jesus corporately? Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for all who've gathered today, grateful for the Alleluia's and the praise band and the children and the children's choir who've helped us to experience your love and your grace more fully. And now, God, we just pray in the midst of the busyness and craziness of our lives and of this world that you would help us just to take a deep breath to open ourselves to you and to hear what you are offering to bring us to wholeness and peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it was several years ago, I was living in Chicago in Ukrainian village, East Humboldt Park, depended on the realtor you were talking to, right? And uh, in my condo, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, uh, and I'd been sick the night before at a church meeting. In fact, I'd had a fairly high fever, had had the chills, and I just kept trying to figure out if I was getting better. Now, I know you don't do this. As soon as you feel bad, you probably call the doctor. Amen? Hello, right? But I tend to think that I can heal myself, right? So I drank lots of water, I got out lots of Neosporin, I mean tons of Neosporin, because it seemed like the problem had started with a small uh, red spot on my left leg. Uh, but the fever just continued, I felt bad, I just didn't feel good, I canceled some meetings finally, I made a number of phone calls, I got on the computer to kind of catch up email, I don't know if you do that, when I feel bad, I feel like I need to keep working, anybody, right? Finally, my friend Melissa called, and she said, how are you doing? Because I'd acknowledged to her in a text that I was asking for her prayers. And I said, well, I don't think I'm doing well. I've got a 101-degree temperature. My leg is now red on my foot. Uh, I don't feel well. I don't want to eat, and I just want to sleep. And she said, what do you think you ought to do? I think I got this under control. I know you never do this, right? 
But as you can imagine, and I don't need to go through all the details, as the morning progressed, the redness, which turned out to be cellulitis, began to come up the left side of my leg. Finally, the fever hit about 102, and the Tylenol wasn't taking care of it. And Melissa finally said she's coming from Northbrook to help. Later, she would admit she was coming to Northbrook from Northbrook because she didn't think I was going to do anything about it, right? She walked in the door, and uh, we went upstairs. I pulled back my jean leg and showed her my leg, and she gasped. That's not a helpful thing, right? <laughs> and she said to me, James, this is serious. You're in serious trouble. And I said, do you really think so? And she said, yes. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Watch you continue to get ill and sick. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to call an ambulance? What do you want me to do? And finally, I just burst into tears, right? You know, it's that moment when you realize it's beyond your control. Anybody? You can't do anything about it. You can't take enough Tylenol. You can't put on enough Neosporin. You can't deny or ignore it any longer. You have to do something. And I said, Melissa, take me to Northwestern Hospital. And she did. I got to the hospital. They were in shock. The nurse chewed me out. She said, you're in serious trouble. And she said the same question. What do you want us to do? And I said, I want I want to be healed. I want to be better. Today's scripture story, which you heard so beautifully read by Lorelai from Mark, where we've been spending a lot of our time in the New Testament, one of the Gospels. Mark was probably the first one written. All the stories of Jesus written down around 70 A.D., right as the temple had been destroyed. And in the story today, the question is clear. What do you want me to do? But I want you to know that this question happened before. It happened in verses just before. You may remember the disciples, James and John, right? They were brothers. And Jesus has just talked about that it's now time for him to enter Jerusalem and for them to leave Galilee and go and confront the leadership in Jerusalem, what will eventually be palm processions and crucifixions. Amen? And James and John are kind of Jesus' inner circle along with Peter. And so they just say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, great speech, loved it. Hope we get the PowerPoint mailed before the end of the day, right? And we have a question for you. And Jesus asked this question. I didn't notice it before. In the verses prior to today's story about Bartimaeus, he says to them, what do you want me to do? And their request is far different than the one that will come later because they say, well, Jesus, we really believe you're going to enter and take things over and the Romans are going to be out and we'd like to be in your cabinet, right? We'd like to be on the right and left of you. We'd like some power. We'd like to live, you know, on a particular street. We hope that you'll help us gain that kind of power. And Jesus realizes that this close inner circle doesn't get it. Amen? He's not going to take over the temple. He's going to the cross, right? He's not going as a person of extreme power and control. He's going as a servant and one who will suffer on behalf of the world. And he says to them, you don't know what you're asking for. They leave Galilee. They enter a city just northeast of Jerusalem in the Jordan River Valley called Jericho. Jericho is a, a famous city uh, you know, the wall that they marched around, the wall of Jericho came tumbling down. It's that city. 
And so all of the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and the crowd, which is large, follows him on their way to Jerusalem, and they come to the city of Jericho. And it says as they came to the city of Jericho, and his disciples and a very large cloud were then now leaving Jericho, so there must not have been much to see in Jericho, right? Kind of like, uh, like Bannockburn, if you will, right? And Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. Now, I want you to pay attention to that. Bar just means son of. And so this is the son of Timaeus. So his name is Bar Timaeus. Isn't that pretty creative? Amen, right? Now, what's fascinating, Jesus has healed a lot of other people. In fact, he heals a blind man back in chapter 8, but we don't know his name. Many of the people we don't know, uh, we don't know who they are, what their name was. We might know a little bit about them. But here, the writer of Mark wants you to know his name. Some people believe that Bartimaeus was an important leader in the early church, and that's why the name was given. So you go, oh, this is the story of Bartimaeus. But for whatever reason, Bartimaeus' name is given. A blind beggar sitting by the roadside. Now, my bet is that Bartimaeus had lost his sight. He couldn't work. He might have been deemed unclean. So he just sat outside the city of Jericho as people came and went, and he asked for money and alms and support. And maybe he had been there for years, and maybe he was somebody people were used to, like we sometimes get used to those who ask for money at the intersections of Arlington Heights and Dundee or wherever it may be. We just kind of know, oh, that person, right? You know what I'm saying? When Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus Son of David, have mercy on me. He already gives a title to Jesus, somewhat of what the disciples are hoping, a restoration of the throne of David. But nonetheless, Bartimaeus realizes that this man named Jesus of Nazareth is far more than people realize. So he shouts, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't say, can I have some alms? Could you get me a hamburger from McDonald's? He doesn't even say, can you give me your wallet? Or he doesn't even say, will you heal me? Bartimaeus just asked for mercy, for grace, for attention, for something. Now, this is interesting. Many sternly ordered Bartimaeus to be quiet. Isn't that interesting? Now, these are the disciples, the followers, the big crowd. They're wonderful. They think Jesus is great. They've seen all of his miracles and his healing. But when one person who they don't think is worthy of that experience cries out, what do they do? They shut him down. Be quiet. Don't interrupt. You're nobody. Isn't that sometimes true when people reach out for healing? When somebody begins to tell us their story or somebody begins to share their grief or their addiction or their fear or their broken relationship and we just kind of shut it down because we don't want to hear it? Amen? But Bartimaeus is persistent. He cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. I'm sure it was louder than that. Jesus stands still. And he says to his disciples, call him over here. And I bet reluctantly, right, they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he throws off his cloak, he gets up, he springs up according, I mean there's a great sense of energy, and he comes to Jesus, and then Jesus says to him, you ready for this? You're going to be shocked. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? 
He doesn't assume it. He wants Bartimaeus to be clear. Say it with me. What do you want me to do for you? It's the same question that he asked of James and John, but now it's something different as he says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to Jesus, my teacher. So things have shifted, right? From this grand, amazing son of David, royal title, he calls him rabbi. That's what he calls him. That's what the word is here. Which is an endearing, teaching, heartfelt relationship in which you follow somebody. You follow a rabbi. And so he says, rabbi, teacher, let me see again. And Jesus says to Bartimaeus, go, your faith has made you well. It's the same words he said to the bleeding woman a few weeks ago in our other sermon series. Go, your faith has saved you. Unlike James and John who are clamoring for power, Bartimaeus is clamoring for wholeness and restoration and healing. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see again. Go, your faith has saved you. And immediately Bartimaeus regained his sight and followed him on the way. Do you hear that? Followed him where? On the way. Unlike the other miracles prior to today's story in which Jesus kind of takes people off to the side, does it kind of secretly, and often says, especially in Mark, don't tell anybody. Today, Bartimaeus picks up that cloak he threw away, looks and sees for the first time in many years, and leaves Jericho and everything that he's known, and he follows Jesus on the way. On the way to where? To Jerusalem. On the way to where? Palm Sunday, the procession and the donkey. On the way to where? To the crucifixion and death. Bartimaeus has so experienced opening and wholeness and seeing and vision because Jesus asked one simple question, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Last week we talked about being honest. Just being honest that things are not well. I've gained weight. I need to see the doctor. I'm not happy. I'm depressed. I'm sad. I'm grieving. I miss my loved one. This is not how I expected my life to go at this point. Amen? Maybe that's not true for all of us. But I would think at some point in our life, and especially in the pandemic, this is not what we expected. I mean, look around, would you? Really, you can turn your heads in church. I know it's hard to believe. We're Methodists, but we can. <laughs> who thought two years ago we'd be sitting in a room with masks on, right? With plastic shields. I mean, who really even envisioned that for their life, right? But here we are. But now we go a little deeper in that healing because we hear Jesus say to James or to Sandy or to Joanna or to Clayton or to John or whoever you are, what do you want me to do for you? And I think about that question when I was lying in bed in the condo, not sure what to do, ignoring the reality that I was deeply ill denying that I was not in a good place and hearing Melissa say those words so clearly. What do you want me to do for you? The road to healing requires honesty, but it also involves some clarity. It involves being honest about what you need. So, 
I'm just going to challenge all of us, right? You're not going to be happy. You're going to be a little discomfort. It's okay, right? Amen? Ooh, well, you really don't want that, do you? <laughs> Think about your physical health. Over half the country has gained more weight in the pandemic than ever before. Amen? Living example. I keep ignoring it, right? And I don't want to hear what Jesus says. What do you want me to do for you? I want to be whole. Depression, anxiety, fear, uncertainty is higher than it's been in this country in years, maybe ever. And some of you are experiencing that. Amen? But if you're not honest about maybe the need for a therapist or talking to somebody or saying it's more than I can handle, what do you want me to do for you? Alcohol use, drug use is higher than it's been in forever. People are drinking more and having more issues with alcohol than ever before because of this pandemic, because of fear and anxiety. We're self-medicating, whether it's with drugs, alcohol, food, television. I mean, how many episodes of Modern Family can you watch in one night, right? <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? Maybe it's time to seek 12-step help or just talk to a counselor or to at least be honest this is out of control. And maybe it's grief, right? We talked about this last week, but it's really true, right? How many of us are just grieving the loss of loved ones, people dear to us, and we lost them in the midst of the pandemic, and we can't really even deal with it? And maybe it's time to join a grief group here at the church or somewhere. Maybe it's time to reach out, see a therapist. I see a therapist. I tell you that. Why do I tell you that? So you don't think it's a bad thing, right? I mean, I grew up in a household, if I, in fact, the first time I told my mother uh, I was seeing a therapist, you would have thought I said I'd killed three people, right? You know what I'm saying? But it's hard for us, isn't it, to admit we can't carry this by ourselves, right? But sometimes we can't. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And maybe it's a relationship, right? Relationships, many of them have suffered in the pandemic, Amen. One of my friends, who really loves her husband dearly, but she said, I'm sick of him, right? <laughs> They've never had to spend so much time together in all their lives because they're both officing at home, right? She said, I, I really loved him when he was here, you know, at night, but now he's here all day, and he wants to talk and take coffee breaks and have lunch every day. She said, I can't stand him, right? I said, maybe you ought to see a therapist, right? <laughs> or at least speak honestly. And maybe the relationship is seriously in danger and you've been ignoring it, so it's just easy not to talk about it. What do you want me to do for you? I could go on, amen? But I invite you, in this moment, if you're well and you're feeling good, I praise the Lord, amen? But if you're like many of us in the room who are grieving, struggling, having issues with mental health, relationships in trouble, you know, just suffering physically, whatever it may be. Hear Jesus say, with such love and such compassion, because Jesus loves you so much. Amen, do you know that? Hello? And so that question is one of deep, deep love for us. 
what do you want me to do for you? And then you act. You reach out. You attend a meeting. You call the church. You ask for prayer. And sometimes it's embarrassing, amen? We don't want anybody to know our business, especially here in the suburbs, amen? But Jesus says, it doesn't matter. What do you want me to do for you? 